0: Welcome again to the Professional Services Pursuit Podcast. This is a podcast that features expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. I'm Brent Trimble, and my guest today is Peter Taylor. Peter is probably best known as an author of a provocative book called The Lazy Project Manager. Peter, great to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, it's great to and be here. And uh, Yeah, insult your profession and get on. That was the idea behind the book. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, there's nothing nothing like that for a for a page turner. And I understand you're transmitting to us from across the pond today.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in the UK. Absolutely.
0: So yeah, I mean let's let's hear about the lazy project manager. Uh, Maybe the premise, and then how you how you came about the idea. Yeah, yeah. Dive into that a bit.
1: Happy to do happy to do that. Yeah, I mean the book it's it's been around for quite now over ten years now. Mm-hmm. And it's still one of the best-selling project management books out there. I mean, the origin of it came from, you know, I was a young, well, fit, a relatively young compared to now uh, project manager. And, I, you know, like all project managers, I was keen to learn more and understand more. And I read lots of books, which if I'm totally honest and I have been for many years now, is, you know, those books were dull and boring and mm-hmm. theoretical. And it was like nobody ever did anything wrong in project management, which clearly wasn't true. Right. And I had the opportunity to, I started doing some sort of speaking, and I was advised, that, yeah, get a book, get a book out there. It's a great business card. It's a great opportunity to to speak against. But the background to the lazy project manager was I, I was running a PMO, and I had just over 100 project managers working for me across Europe. And I noticed something. I noticed that about half of them, broadly speaking, were they were being reasonably effective, but working on average, typical working weeks. You know, I'm pretty mm. go up and down. We know that. But on average, they were working 40, 45-hour weeks. But the other half were working, in my mind, crazy hours, you know, 50, 60, 70 right. and more. But they were being no more or no less successful. So I started driving into the behavioral differences, and that came – on top of my manager who I'd worked for a couple of companies at that point, he called me the laziest person he'd ever met. And I was really upset to begin with, but actually he meant it as a compliment. And the two things just came together and the lazy project manager was born. It's all about working smarter, not harder when you're trying to manage projects. So that's, that's what it's all about. And people seem to like it because it's full of very honest stories. It's it's short. It's got a lot of fun in it. And yeah, I've been delighted with the reception of it.
0: No, I love that. I love that idea. And it's sort of, based on efficiency, not not just uh, pure tonnage and effort. And ultimately, right in, in the project management realm, particularly when we're delivering solutions for clients or, you know, software or product, really measured on success and not necessarily effort, right? Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. So
1: and it's something I've seen a lot in you know, younger, less experienced project managers, they they throw themselves at it and it's passionate and it's wonderful, but they get down and dirty. They get in the weeds and they forget, to elevate, and remember their, their responsibilities to guide the project towards success. And so that's kind of what it's about. It's finding the most appropriate, the working smart and not hard, the most, most productive, lazy way of working is the way I describe it.
0: Oh, it's outstanding. I love it. I, I love the idea of having a book as a as a business card. I <laughs> Maybe inspire me. I'll put some of my – maybe put some of my dad jokes – into a a Corpus and see if we can see if we can maybe self publish it or something. That'd be kind of fun. Well, Funny, funny to me. Which is the point of dad jokes, right?
1: I think I think there's an author in everybody. Absolutely, I, you know, I've I've encouraged many people to to write, etc. In fact, you know, a, a quick aside on this one was during during 2020 when you know project manager was struggling, didn't know what to do, yeah, projects were cancelled and postponed, etc. I, I set a challenge through LinkedIn, and I love to be connected to people on LinkedIn. But it, we we wrote a book in 21 days, and I reached out to project managers around the world and said, "Give me 500 words about a brilliant thing you're doing right now." To Overcome the challenges. And it's right. a book called The Projectless Manager. And we did it in, from start to finish and getting it published on Kindle and in print on demand in 21 days. And it was just an amazing global. It was 55 contributors uh, from 55 countries, rather, who, who made this happen. It was fantastic.
0: That's outstanding. So, Today in 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 this episode one one of the one of the areas we want to dive into and and gain some insight from you and, and part of your expertise is this this notion of the the relationship between project management and resource management mm-hmm. and that's always been a really interesting dynamic right i mean you have some firms that sort of split them as really distinct practices. Some try to kind of measure them, but there's always that tension between what needs to be done and then who's available to do it. And then on top of that, we have, of course, it's 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 overused and oversaturated, but I but I can't think of a, a better term at the moment, just the enormous war on talent. Now that in 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 the knowledge economy and technology, where a lot of probably our colleagues reside, in the practice of, of of project management, you know, good product service strategy PMOs um, project managers have been in demand for quite some time, mm-hmm. and now we have the the rebound out of the out of the pandemic driven economy, which has really just accelerated this war on talent. Because now you can a bi coastal city can poach talent really in the U S from anywhere, right? And I'm sure you're experiencing that in in uh, the U K and then and then globally. But talk to us a little bit about that, you know that that relationship that tension of pm resource management and now kind of kind of a grenade thrown into the mix around just this really acute war on talent
1: yeah well let's let's start with some basics i mean yeah, they are different, and they yet yeah, they are the same, and they are supposed to work in harmony and collaboration. But there's a, there's a there's a natural tension created by the, the very nature of what they're being asked to do. Project managers they you know, kind of operate on a project. And they manage a single project, or they might manage a couple of projects. By peak, when I was in the kind of industry and and practicing as a project manager, I could have four or five projects on the go at any given time, but. It was all about working with the project team to deliver what my clients wanted at the end of the day, and to bring success to my clients and the company I was working for. Now, the resource managers they operate on a company level. Their mm-hmm. their job is to be is responsible for allocating appropriate resources to multiple projects, and it's about optimizing those resources for you know the greater benefit of the organization and utilization and profit margin, all those kind of things. So there is an there's an instant if you like, tension, because project managers like to have the flexibility. They like to have the people they they know and trust. They like to rework with people. They like to have the capability to call up resources when uh, short notice. They like to have that kind of contingency built into their resources. And the resource managers are doing the complete opposite. They're saying, well, you know, if, if, if Mary's finishing on Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m., then Mary will start on the next piece of work at 4 p.m. maybe and carry on through. Whereas the project manager goes, well, I might need or I might need Joe. Right. And that's, that's, the, that's the tension. And I think it's always been there. It's not an unhealthy one. And most organisations I work with, they find ways to collaborate. And in fact, mm-hmm. you know, when I've run PMOs, we've been we've been often you know operating in the if you like the uh, the kind of the kind of considerator of the of the priorities. Often, you know, well, okay, there's there's a problem here. Which pro- which project gets the priority, and and guide the project managers and guide the, the resource managers. But as you as you rightly said, we are you know this, there is this war on talent, which is. You know, it has really accelerated. It's, it's mm. if you look back, if anyways you know, there's a lot written about the war on talent, and has been for for quite some time. It's almost like we're in the current battle in the war on talent, but it has just skyrocketed after the after after 2020, and it's it's happened because you know people have realised perhaps more their worth. They totally mm. understand they can be completely flexible. You know, someone that was perhaps working in a a regional area, say in North America, that was their, that was their location. Suddenly, well, actually I can do this around the world. I mean, you know, we've all been, we've all been pushed rapidly towards that kind of virtual world. So I think the, the tension has grown, and the challenge has grown, and you know I think from my point of view, because I'm you know I'm, I'm a head of a PMO, and I you know I, I, this is my world. I think we have to all you know get a little bit more grown up about this and understand what people want right now, and understand not the pressures on people. I don't think it's the opportunity that all the resources are being offered right now. They, they see it a whole lot more. And so I think this is, this is the accelerator, I would say. And and I think that's something that's being recognized around the world right now.
0: It's, it's really acute, I think, in some of the disciplines we're discussing, right? PM resource management, you know, we, we, I reside just in the outskirts of New York City. So it's, you know, for, for generations, this is a, it's a, it's a commuting town. You know, we Folks walk to the train, head into Penn Station or, or or Grand Central, whatever the case may be, march to the office, put in your 10 to 14 hour day, come home, rinse, repeat. But there's this now notion, I think, on the one side, folks are sort of missing some collaboration. You know, oh. So there's, I think I just saw a survey, it was Wall Street Journal or Fortune or someone said, you know, about a third of folks want to go back to the office maybe not full-time but but at least part-time and then there's probably a real spectrum of you know gradient in there where folks say you know what some in-person collaboration is is needed in in, in it's going to be great i know personally anecdotally i i i miss that and and uh, look forward to doing that at least part-time
1: collaboration is, is the key to it it's almost like now, you know, historically project managers and resource managers have cooperated
0: Right, you know,
1: but collaboration is a completely different level of trust etc and i think i, I think one of the, the key things right now is around the fact that they we need to de silo this you know because, you know the, the project managers and the resource managers have got to become partners much much closer and exactly as you said brett you know this is the this is the challenge right now of how do we do this in this in this what is clearly going to be a hybrid world with people's you know uh, views of how they want to work and and i you know i've seen this that you know, when I look at my team and, and talk to other people as well, you know what we're seeing right now is as we as we sit on the kind of the cusp of going back to work, is that that structure of this is what you do, you go into the office, you go to a client site, you know, whatever, you know, and this is how we work has just broken. You know, it's it's we've seen a different world, but it not everybody not not everybody's rushing to it, and I, and the best I've heard described is if you can imagine that you know a square with you know the four corners, people. Will move to each one of these four corners. You know, at the top there, think about you know people are people are excited about working on solo and virtual, whereas other people are craving to get back into a physical right. team. And in yep. the other two corners, people want they they love this kind of flexibility and freedom and create and, be, and being loose from the organization. And yet, right. other people are craving structure. So, how do you deal with this when when you know anybody could head into any one of those four directions? um I think they're all part of your overall team
0: No absolutely, and I think anecdotally, just surveying colleagues, you know the folks probably who fit in well into your the 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 thesis of your book around the the notion of lazy equaling you know efficiency and working smarter now they these are folks who really bias toward. Efficiency. So the prospect of not killing time in a commute and, and so forth, and understanding that they're they're masterful at collaboration with technology tools. They don't need that in person probably as much. They're completely fine and and profoundly in demand right now. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, in the services industry, the pure services industry, fee for service has been under siege for some time with reduction in client fees. But expanding all the time expectations of deliverables. So whether it's management consulting or pure play consulting, certainly marketing services and agencies. But the folks on the creative side, or strategy, or design-oriented creative, certainly they do. I find kind of miss sort of that. Maybe at least a mix, a mix yeah. of collaboration, because they don't have to be particularly as efficient. It's it's tougher to be. You know, the creative process is. Something that can occur at any time. It can occur on the commute, it can occur in the shower, that kind of thing. So mm. but uh, how do you think firms can probably approach this, knowing that the new normal is going to be the normal for quite some time? But this tension between both disciplines and then swinging overhead is this this anvil of the war on talent. How do you think they can tackle things like maybe retention? Or, or attracting the right uh, candidates and then keeping them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, at the heart of it is, is retention. Um, and, it, and because of the situation, there's a natural focus on on acquisition of talent as well. Mm-hmm. But really, sure. the heart of it is retention, because if you don't lose anybody, you don't need anybody, it, you know, apart from through pure growth. And, and I think, you know, if you look at the sort of, what are, what do people want out of this? And, and I think this comes back to exactly what I said. You know, people want a lot more and, and what they want is a lot different than they had beforehand. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be the people are out there who just turn up and you know charge you a, charge you a day rate or something like that and do the job. And it's not about the environment or the co- company or the culture, etc. But for those of people who want to be part of a of an organisation, it's really interesting. I think you know I was reading something around the fact that the the biggest you know the biggest attraction for for people right now is that the company they're going to work for is different in some way and that difference fits hmm. in what, what they want it was an interesting uh, read because it was talking about that you know if you just you know if you just uh, pass out to hr and say create yeah you know, design a culture for the organization design a, a package for our employees etc then it's a bit like you know a supercomputer computer will just they will design the same thing it's like cars will eventually all, all do they look very similar so the winners out there are going to be organizations that i think understand that they're going to offer something Different to attract the people that they want. I think the other thing is, and I'm going to go back to what I said about they've got to fight this kind of siloed situation, mm. particularly between right. the project management community, particularly between the resource management community, and and many organisations and the own, and my own ones that I've worked for in the past. You know, we have a resource management, we have a resourcing community, and we have a project management community, and the two engage, but actually they don't understand each other's world. I mean, and, and I think that's one of the great things is to bring them together and, and, you know, even, even potentially to kind of rotate staff through that, through those, those groups, you know, on the career path, you know, I'd love it if a project, you know, junior project manager understood the resource management side of things and a resource manager right. had some more basic project management, because, you know, when you step into other people's shoes, you rapidly understand their, their different world. So I think organizations can, can try and do a lot around that, but, at the heart of it all is they've got to, you know, they've got to offer you know, growth opportunities. They've got to offer kind of career opportunities. They've got to have, you know, focus on internal promotions much more. Organizations I think have uh, struggled in the past, and it's and it, again, it's been exacerbated in the current situation of we need this certain skill set, and we haven't got time to wait for it internally, and we don't think necessarily we've got it internally, so let's go into the market. Well, that drives the war on talent it's like, well, hey, I can turn up here and I can get a, you know, I can get a 10, 20% pay rise and I can join this company for a couple of years, maybe less, and I can move on. We've got to get past that. Organizations have got to get past that. They've got to really nurture the talent they've got in, internally and, you yeah, know, not just expect to buy it in because buying in doesn't buy loyalty. And loyalty is really, it's the hardest, isn't it? It's if, you, if you've got a group of employees, wherever they sit in the business, if they are loyal to that organization they're going to stay and and you know that it, it will definitely reduce that kind of uh challenge around talent
0: kind of building from within absolutely um, certainly augmenting but but not taking that mercenary approach that you just kind of go out and well I find I was like
1: recently with someone and and I, I like this analogy and I I'm, I'm pretty certain it applies to all sport but we we were talking about you know English football soccer um mm. and and the great what's it, what's out that there,
0: could you fill me in? What, just kidding, just being humorous.
1: Yeah, well, I'll explain to you later the game we invented. Yeah, we, we could go down that rate for a while. But no, we were reflecting on you know you see the big names of the big teams and you see the big purchases and they do yeah they they spend you know either what they they Ronaldo recently or just you know joining uh, Manchester United, but actually the great teams at their heart have created a, an incredible academy of young talent. And that's really where the great teams come from. Yes, managers work with the special skills. They bring key people in. But fundamentally, they get that core loyalty. And and that's really where the the, the teams in the past. I'm I'm pretty certain it's true of a lot of teams around the world that that is the case. It starts with the youngsters. It starts with the academy. And it creates that loyalty.
0: Yeah, players that come up to the organization or... Were sort of cultivated and drafted out of the college. Here would be the analogy in the U.S. for for sure, and then and then put in put into a place to succeed once they were ready. Yeah, that that's that's really the the cornerstone of a, of a great team. Around this notion, you know, we we touched on it a little bit at the at the top, and you know, maybe link we encounter service organizations of all of all kinds, and many have a centralized resource management practice, and many don't. Or um, it's really the, the PMs kind of using some type of scrum methodology, and then of course, technology to see who's available to do what, and, and it's kind of decentralized. You know, obviously, that can come with challenges. And, and our counsel is typically that once an organization reaches a certain size, they should invest in resource managing as a practice. But for, the, for those that don't, and PMOs you've encountered, um, who decentralized this? What are what are some ways you know in a current state, for instance, to get the most out of that type of scenario without a lot of disarray?
1: Well, I think there's a challenge. You're right. You, you know, companies will reach a certain size when this is mm-hmm. just a this, this is a no brainer. You have to invest in something to manage it. You know, you, it cannot be done manually, uh, not without a, you know a ridiculous number of people. And even then, you know, it doesn't give that kind of you yeah, know in my world i I need a global view of the resources I need constantly need to understand where the strains were, I need to look at the pipeline and what's coming in you know it breaks if you work in the you know, the term I use. You know, if you try and operate in an infinite capacity model, then it will break because you know people will do their very best, but you're going to burn them out. You're going to upset. Them, you're going to create problems. You're going to you're going to fail in retention. So you need technology to help you balance that out and find the right resources at the right time in the right place for the right project for you know, all that. I mean, at a lower level, it kind of works absolutely because. You know, you typically have uh, a more local resource manager who understands the people they're working with, and you know mm-hmm. they at a the very you know very granular level they you know they they know that you know you don't mind traveling so far, you don't mind working late on a on a Thursday or a Friday, you don't mind doing a bit of work. All of that is brilliant insight.
0: Right. essentially organic. Wish- Yes,
1: but it only goes so far. And if, and if you try and even patch groups together, it stops working because people go, no, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there, etc. And again, it's almost like we've we've leapfrogged to a new world in the sense that those locational barriers, to a greater extent, don't exist anymore. Because, you know, now I can have, I can put together a project team that has got resources from around They You know, there's challenges in a different area of how you get them to work effectively because they never meet each other. But as a resource group, it's incredible optimization. It definitely, at that level, you need something. You need some kind of resource management technology to help you do that, and to just really carefully closely track the people that you're you're managing there.
0: That, and probably a good source of data, as as well yeah. as it can be tracked around mm. the the talent attributes that you that you noted. You know, willingness to travel, all the way down through skills and expertise, and, yeah, and probably success on. Past projects, right? I mean, who doesn't want to try to predict success um, when they compose a a team, right?
1: And it goes back to that kind of retention thing. Because if you manage to do this and you keep your resources happy, you keep giving them new challenges and new opportunities and career growth. They are, you know, yes, I know, you know, organizations have a talent acquisition um, group these days and they they, they Mm -hmm. can reach out. But you know what? Most of the people that uh, that I know have come into organisations through you know recommendations from from people in, internally. I mean, the organisation recently joined that was through a recommendation internally. You know that that outweighs all of the, the other stuff. Yes, I can I can say that I you know, I understand this company. I can look at its its presence in the marketplace. I can understand its reputation, etc. But if I got someone inside going, this is a great place to join,
0: right? Yeah. Absolutely. It's,
1: it's, again it's, it's it you know it carries such a such weight and again organizations need to to deal with that because that will again will help in this this whole you know war on talent that we keep talking about
0: right yeah because i mean fundamentally we're in we're in people people focused businesses oh right? yeah services yeah. and yeah. pm it's whether you're running a pmo in a product company or you're running a pmo in a services company you're fundamentally at the at the nexus of talent which which leads me to kind of a question we you recently led a webinar and you took i think a a poll in in the session an interactive poll asking attendees to rank pressure points regarding talent regarding people in their organizations and you know themes like uh, recruiting change management upheaval retention but maybe give us a snapshot of, of the type of question the type of organization and, and some of those Ooh. responses
1: yeah, yeah, it was it was fascinating, and you know, the the insights were you know not overly surprising based on the conversation I'd already had with a number of companies. But yeah, we asked you know what was your number one pressure point uh, in your organisation with regards to people, and we were very focused on the people side of things. And yeah, I mean, uh, right at the top there, they came back. We said, well, two things. One is retention, and yeah, you know, we kind of talked about that. It's 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 how do we keep the people we've got because you know they're good people. We don't want to lose them. But interestingly, the, the the other one, which I think is, again, is one of the kind of causes of people moving on, is coping with change. Mm. And it wasn't really about the fact that they said, well, we, we can't change or we don't want to change. It wasn't that. I think everybody recognizes now that organizations change and they change rapidly these days. You have to. But the if you like, the, the coping with change in the underlying sort of information we saw was, was all around so much change, Constantly hitting us, almost daily, or you know, weekly, possibly. of This, you know, it was all being delivered to us on a kind of. Now this has changed. This has changed as well. Now this has changed because an organisation now is is often going undergoing mean, a lot of, you know, if you like, transformation in many areas, and many people are creating change and trying to deliver that understanding of change. But the people who are busy working on projects and, and working with clients and and on all of that they were getting bombarded by, you know, today this has changed and tomorrow you need to do something mm-hmm. different. The day after you need to do something different. And, and and it struck me that, you know, right at number one was coping with change and right behind it was the whole retention and the rec- and below that, slightly lower was re- recruitment. So, you know, here, here's another story around this war on talent, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Companies have to change. You've got to keep moving. You know, you, you it, it is a, it is that is the world we're in but you've got to manage that change well so you don't bury your people under under that. And that seemed to be a very, very strong, strong point. And, and the kind of third area really was around sort of technology. And that was about give us the technology to help us do the job and to deal with all of this change that's ongoing, at the heart of which we want to deliver great projects and we want to make our clients happy. And we want to have a a great culture and a great company and and profitable and all the rest of it. But at the heart of that survey response at least was this change, this change is killing us. All of this change is killing us. It has to be delivered in a different way.
0: Right. Right. That's a good point. And then, you know, you, you, you've touched on the theme of, of retention a few times, but maybe as we, as we begin to work toward a conclusion here in our, in our discussion, you know, from your experience and then anecdotes of discussing, you know, people-oriented questions like this, what What are your kind of insights around the notion of retention from from the vantage point of, of a PM, PML, service type of leader?
1: It is, it is the fact that you cannot ever forget this is about people, projects are about mm-hmm. people. And it's one of those weird things, because if, if, if anybody from the outside looks at our world, what they will see is an abundance of training and development and methods and frameworks and guidelines and process that is anything but about people. Because, let's be honest, that's easy. You know, it's easy to write a methodology. It's easy to write a guideline. It's easy to write a process. It's not easy to, to work and manage people and to lead them as a team. That's the hard part. So it's not surprising that so much is out there about mm-hmm. if like, what, I, what I refer to as the um, the mechanics of project. It's there you know, in, in abundance, absolutely. But at the end of the day, everything that we've talked about, everything from that kind of tension between resource managers and project managers, everything to do with the war on talent, everything about you know about project success, comes down to people and and' it's, it's thinking people first. And people ask me, you know, the, the PMO, what, you know, what does it stand for? What, you know, and, and I always say, well, the P definitely stands for people, because that's what makes a great PMO. That's what's great makes a great project management community is when you've got brilliant people working in collaboration with each other and, and delivering great success to the clients out there. So, you know, my, my sort of number one tip is, is, is just don't forget this is people. I mean, we use the title resource manager, for example, but you know, it's mm. about we use the title of project manager, but it's about people. It's almost like we've got the wrong titles for stuff in a sense. But right. at the heart of it, at the heart of it is if you've got motivated people who've been brought together under the under the brilliant skill set of a great leader who are allocated to the right job through the resource management side of things, who are passionate about what they're doing and have a clear vision of what they're trying to achieve, when that team gels... It's one of the great things. It's one of, the, one of the things that's kept me in project management all, the, all these years because I've seen te- teams overcome incredible challenges and deliver amazing results because they just trusted each other and they believed in the outcome. So at the end of the day, this is about people, and don't forget that.
0: No, that's great. That's a great conclusion as we kind of wrap up here and uh, appreciate all the insights. First of all, the, kind of the notion and the thesis around the book, and um, encourage users to to check it out and then certainly the insights on on this really remarkable game called soccer and football and
1: (laughs) as long as you don't ask me to explain the rules of cricket then we'll we'll be we'll be fine
0: that's also a great sport but but no thank you so much and thanks our our listeners out there any follow-up questions around this episode maybe questions for peter myself suggestions for topics in the services industry whether it's uh, management consulting, all the way through marketing services, everything in between or guests can certainly reach out to podcast at mavenlink.com. And I am assured that that email address gets very prompt attention. So again, this has been an episode of the Professional Services Pursuit. Thank you for listening until next time.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get your podcast on any podcast app. And to learn more about the transformative power of Mavenlink, go to mavenlink.com. Thank you for listening.